Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. But he goes on in our text and he says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. This word prosper literally means to grant a prosperous and expeditious journey. It's sort of like when you're traveling and you're telling someone that their their way would be prosperous, that things would go well for them, that their road would be smooth and uneventful, the trip would be easy. That's the kind of idea that he's saying here. And also that you would be in health. And the word there is hygieno which is the same word where we get hygiene from. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob begins our study in John's third epistle. The scripture says, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. John used this common phrase in his sending of best wishes and blessings to Gaius. Some have wrongly taken this as a guarantee of perpetual wealth and perfect health for the Christian. Of course, we should always remember that God wants our best and plans only good for us. Yet, for the present time, God may use the lack of material prosperity and physical health to promote great prosperity and health in the scale of eternity. His plan is the perfect one. Now let's join Pastor Rob. You remember John wrote three letters And the first letter was written to the church in general in Asia Minor back at the time that he wrote this. And the last two letters of John, John, uh, 2nd John and the 3rd John, they were written to specific individuals. You remember last week we looked at 2nd John and that was addressed to a specific woman and her children. And this morning we will be looking at 3 John, which was a letter that was written specifically to a gentleman by the name of Gaius. And it's interesting, in these letters, in fact, all three of John's letters, none of his name, his name is mentioned in, in neither three. And they were short letters, at least the second John and third John that we're going to look at today, they're the shortest in the Bible. They were short letters because John's hope was that he would visit them and see them face to face. And at the conclusion of each letter, you hear him say that. This letter is short, but it's because I want to see you face to face. And so, what we can look at this morning in this third letter, there's a couple themes, really two that I can see very clearly. And the first one is John just commending Gaius for his love and his hospitality toward the saints. Hospitality and and kindness is a hallmark of the Christian faith. If you're a believer, these kinds of things ought to be evident in our life, or at least growing. And God desires that. 
And Gaius was one of those men who was very careful to, to show that love and that hospitality toward uh, itinerant preachers in that time and missionaries that were coming through the area. He was very open to welcoming, welcoming them into his home and treating them kindly. And later on in the letter, which is a very short letter, it also speaks of the destructive nature of Christian pride because wherever there is a church, there are always members, and and sometimes it can be for better or worse, meaning, um, actually, it's never good when there's Christian pride, but sometimes it can be veiled, and sometimes it can be very out front for everyone to see, and there can be great problems in a church and great schisms within the body of Christ. And this was one of those. It was a gentleman by the name of Diotrephes, who was a very proud man. Um, Paul, or John doesn't say anything concerning his salvation or, or, or saying that he wasn't a believer, but he does say that he had a problem. And, and, and it's interesting because um, this kind of thing ought not to be something that is very obvious to all of us. Our, our pride, that's one of the things that got uh, Satan or Lucifer into his trouble, was pride. Pride is a horrible thing. And when we let it get a hold of us and, and, and determine our path, it, it becomes destructive. And we find ourselves jealous of one another. We find ourselves prating against one another and not being kind and rather vying and jockeying for position within the church. And these, this, these kinds of things do happen, unfortunately. But this morning's message, I, I labeled the tale of two men or the tale of two brothers and we're going to see two brothers in this letter. It could have been called the tale of three brothers because Gaius himself is a, is a wonderful example of the believer. But we also know that Demetrius in this letter was also a faithful servant and he was an excellent role model to the church. In fact, John was writing this letter to Gaius, this prominent member of the church, they think somewhere in the western part of Turkey. John's writing this letter to Gaius, this very kind-hearted, warm-hearted man full of hospitality. And he's probably sending this letter with Demetrius, going to the church with this very letter, this third letter of John, taking it to the church. And there was a man there by the name of Diotrephes who was, like I said before, a man full of pride. And you can just see the dynamic, can't you? It's very difficult, very difficult. So let's read the entire letter, and we'll go back and we'll take a look at it. It says, To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. You have borne witness of your love before the church. And if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, speaking of Christ, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren, and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. 
Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself, and we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I wish not to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name, by name. And so we see this letter, and again, John just commending Gaius for his hospitality and sending this letter, no doubt by the hand of Demetrius, to this church that they both probably um, uh, were a part of. And, um, and hopefully Demetrius will get the point when he reads this. Can you imagine being there and getting the letter and you being rebuked by the Apostle John? You know, sometimes these things have to happen if left unchecked. And, and the whole purpose of it is really to uh, bring those to repentance, those who have bitter hearts and sin left unchecked, they need to be encouraged to turn from those things. Let's look back at the very first verse here. He says, the elder, and again, we saw John address himself the same way in the second epistle that we looked at last week. And this is uh, Presbyteros, this is an elder, an old man. That's what that means, an overseer, somebody who has had experience, somebody who is older and wiser. They've been through it. They understand. And this is how John addressed himself. He said, the elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. And this Gaius is interesting because Gaius, there are four different Gaiuses in the Bible. And this one is, uh, he's an unknown Christian man to whom this letter was written. But the letter addresses at least five things concerning this Gaius that we're going to be looking at today. And we've read the epistle. We already know what it says. But these five things, at the very least, were that the fact that the truth is in him, that Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, has indwelt him, and and that he had a love for the church. This man had a great love for the church. And so ought we, if we are born-again believers, to love each other. Isn't that the greatest commandment? Isn't that what Jesus said? He goes, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And that is the thing that we ought to do. And it's so uh, sparing sometimes in churches today. Because sometimes the church, we, we are the ones who shoot our own wounded. Instead of loving them and putting our arms around them, we end up looking at them with crossed eyes and we end up making them feel ostracized and we make them feel horrible. So what do they do? They, they, they leave the church. They'll go somewhere else where somebody will love them. And see, that ought not to be what we are about. We don't always agree on all things. And you may not even like somebody personality-wise, but you can love them in Christ. It doesn't mean you have to be buddy-buddy with them, but we can love them and we can put our arms around them. You can pray with them. Even if you don't really care for them, does that make sense? Have you ever done that? Somebody who you really don't care for, but do you have the grace? And I believe you do if you have the Spirit of God in you. I do it. I know you can do it. You may not get along well with somebody, but you know what? You can treat them like a brother or sister. And that's one of the hallmarks of the faith. And that's certainly something that Gaius did. He loved the church, and he was faithful. He was, he was a faithful man. Whenever anybody would be traveling through, a missionary coming through, he'd be the first to say, hey, stay at my place. I'll take care of you. I mean, we don't have really itinerant preachers so much today, although we do from time to time. But he was faithful, and he walks in the truth. That's one of the other things that tells us that Gaius was one who walked in the truth because he was a believer, because he had the Spirit of God in him, he walked in the truth. That means that his thoughts, his mind, his deeds... 
I'm sure they were inconsistent at times, and so can be us. We can be inconsistent at times. But the habit, the majority of our life, should have a tenor about it. It should have a fragrance about it where people can say, there's something unique about this person. There is a a truth. There is something about them that I don't have, and I want that. Let your light be like that. Let your life, didn't Jesus say it, let your light so shine that people would see your good works. And they will glorify you and give you a job and a raise and exalt you on a, on, a, on a thing and carry you around on a rickshaw? No. That they would exalt your Father in heaven. That's the point of it all. It's not for us to be exalted, but for Christ to be exalted because he gets the credit for what he does in our lives. And someday you're going to get credit for it too. When you stand before him at the Bema seat, you will receive rewards for the things that you've allowed him to do in your life. What an amazing thing. He does it through me and I get a reward for it? That almost seems wrong, but that's the way God is. You don't have to earn it. You just have to let it happen. And you certainly can be challenged. So he did that. And also his generosity. We said that before. His generosity, his hospitality, and support for missionaries who came to the church in his house. As you remember, in those days, people would often meet house to house. They didn't have a big building like we have here. There'd be several different, there'd be one like a a, a bigger church, but they would meet in different houses. And these are the qualities of Gaius. And our life ought to have the same fragrance of Christ. May the fruit of the Spirit be evident in our life. We read that in Galatians 5. the, The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy, it's peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And Gaius is one of those brothers, like a breath of fresh air. He gets it, he understands. And this is the kind of thing that we need in our day. Because for a, a great portion of the church has fallen asleep. We've gotten too comfortable we no longer think about these things. We're very introverted. We can, be very, we can be very self-focused. And I'm not saying that necessarily for all of us. But I can say it's true in my own life. I can get that way. I can get content. I can get self-centered and self-focused. And I forget my, my mission on this earth is to go out and to share the good news. To share the love with people who don't know him. To give them the good news that saved my soul. The good news of Christ. And it shouldn't take a 9-11 to wake the church up. But it did, didn't it? There's a phrase I like that I heard, or I actually I've seen in a schoolroom one day, many years ago. It says, people are like popcorn. They don't reach their full potential until the heat is turned up. And I think it's true in my own life. 9-11 was exemplary because it really got us, it really shook our tree, didn't it? We were broken. But how quickly we forget Don't allow yourself, your Christian witness, to get to the place where you are cold and rigid and unloving and jaded by the things of the world. Jesus gave us that warning, did he not? In Matthew 24, he says, And because lawlessness will abound, of course he's speaking of the end times and specifically around the time of the tribulation period, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. The agape love, and I believe that's us. Before the the rapture of the church... You can see the hallmarks of that or the, 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 the inklings of that happening where we're just losing our love. And see, Gaius wasn't one of those men. And he's a good example for us to follow. He's a good example for us to follow. But he goes on in our text and he says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. 
This word prosper literally means to grant a prosperous and expeditious journey. It's sort of like when you're traveling and you're telling someone that their, their way would be prosperous, that things would go well for them, that their road would be smooth and uneventful, the trip would be easy. That's the kind of idea that he's saying here. And also that you would be in health. And the word there is hygieno, which is the same word where we get hygiene from. We all practice good hygiene. We brush our teeth once a week. We take a shower once a month. No, we do that. We, 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 we do those things every day so that we can remain healthy. And that's what the word means here. It's hygieno, and it means sound health and to be well. Recently received a, a letter to my wife and my daughter from a young person, and it was sent to us. And it was a really cute letter. And at the very end, and, I, and this is just a few days ago, and I remember looking at it, and as I was preparing for this message this morning, and it was just some really cute stuff, but then she said this. She says, I hope that everything is going awesome and your family is well and healthy. And I thought to myself, that's it. <laughs> that's all John meant by this letter as well. I pray that you'd prosper and be in good health, that you'd be healthy, that you'd do well. Just like this young lady writes this letter. Very simple meaning, very simple And it meant exactly what she said, and so did John as he's writing to Gaius. I pray that you would prosper in all things and be in good health just as your soul prospers. But unfortunately, what was meant as a simple desire from John to Gaius, that he would be well, has been unfortunately turned into some aberrant doctrine that some in the church have held to. And this idea, this doctrine that is very prevalent today is called the prosperity gospel. It's also known as prosperity theology or the word of faith movement. It's also called the seed faith movement, the health and wealth movement. They all mean the same thing. And I like the phrase, the name it and the claim it, and the blab it and grab it group. (laughs) This verse that we're reading just now, this verse 2, has been used by proponents of these movements as justification for their heresy and is used as a tool to support their covetousness, which the Bible says is what? idolatry, idolatry. And this is the kind of thing that promotes greed and it exposes covetousness in the hearts of those who teach it. One definition of prosperity theology is that it views the Bible as a contract between God and humans. If, If humans have faith in God, then God will deliver security and prosperity. Does that sound true? No. Now, is he good to us? And when we pray... Does he deliver? He does. And sometimes he does it when we haven't prayed. Sometimes he he does these things when we we can't possibly deserve it, because we really can't deserve. We don't deserve really anything. But God, in his love and grace, he does things even when we don't deserve it. And when we couldn't have been in a place of, of some kind of entitlement. There's a gentleman who outlined five errors of this prosperity gospel, and the first one was that the the Abrahamic covenant is a means to material entitlement. You remember in Genesis chapter 15 that God spoke to Abraham about his posterity, that it would be great in number. And he says, look at the stars of the heavens, look at them for their multitude, so will your seed be, Abraham. And so God made him that promise. He made him that promise. 
And in Genesis 15, verse 7, he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. This is a very specific promise from God to Abraham and his descendants. That doesn't mean that this promise goes to every human being. It was a very specific promise. We have to be careful that in the Bible as we read it to understand the context and who the promise is to. Now, can God do those things in each one of our lives? He can, but the promise... The Abrahamic covenant was specific to Abraham. It was specific to him and Abraham's seed. And and, and the Lord goes on in Genesis 15, beginning in verse 18, and he tells him even the boundaries of the land that he would give to him. It says, On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants, notice, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So there's the outline of the land that God was going to give them, the promise that he was giving. But that doesn't mean that we can appropriate that for ourselves and assume that God's going to give us property by the lake. He's going to give us property in Palm Beach, right there on the canal with the yacht. These promises were given to him. And if the health and wealth movement was true, what about the promises that God made to them? And then look what happened to the Jewish race. Were they faithful? No, they weren't faithful. Nobody's faithful. But yet they went through the Holocaust, they went into captivity. Anti-Semitism is still hot today. So have they somehow dropped off the face of the earth because of their unfaithfulness? Is it because of their unfaithfulness? I don't think it is. I think it is possible God does chasten those whom he loves. But he still has a promise. And his promises, and at least this promise, is not based upon their performance. This is what they call an unconditional promise. Unconditional And there are those who also believe that Jesus' atonement extends to the sin of material poverty, that somehow being poverty or being poor is a sin. Can you believe that? They actually believe that if you're you're really a believer in Christ, you should be prosperous, you should be doing well. Or that in order to gain material compensation from God, you've got to give. In other words, it's a quid pro quo with God. If you give to God, he's going to give to you. And God often blesses us when we least deserve it. Again, we don't really deserve it. It's by grace. It always has been by grace and not by works. Isn't that what it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? I'd encourage you to memorize this verse because it's one of the best verses in the Bible. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, because we would if we could. And therein lies the problem with man. We do something and we expect God to reciprocate. Well, I've done this, God, and so you have to do this for me. It is not a quid pro quo with God. You scratch my my back, God, and I'll scratch yours. If you give to me the house and the wife that I want and that fancy car, then I'll, I'll consider serving you, but not until I see the check in the bank. I want to see the gold first, then I'll do They also believe in faith, that faith is a self-generated spiritual force that leads to prosperity, that somehow faith in faith can get the job done. How silly is that? They've made faith their object. And if if you have faith enough, you can generate this spiritual force to somehow make this happen. And prayer, too, is a tool to force God to give you what you want. What a silly thing. 
I'm so glad that I've, when I've prayed to God and I've prayed in error that he hasn't given me what I wanted or asked for. Because again, we've been through this before. We know that God knows what's best for us. And sometimes I can pray for something and it's going to be death to me. It's going to lead me down a path. It's going to separate me from him. And he says, I love you too much to let you have that. You've prayed in earnest. You've even fasted for 30 days. I'm sorry that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as we continue our study in John's epistles. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.